Hello, welcome to the edited version of Josie and Robin's Book Shambles. If you'd like to hear the full version of this conversation, then you can go to cosmicshambles.com slash bookshambles and become one of our Patreon supporters, uh, which you can do for as little as $1 an episode. That's one US dollar, and obviously it will depend on which of our economies is declining more, uh, how much that actually works out in pounds, uh, euros, etc. Hello and welcome to another episode of Book Shambles. Our first announcement, uh, in case you missed this on Twitter or we may have uh, mentioned it, I think we mentioned it in last week's episode. Um, I can't remember actually, It's a week is a long time ago and uh, I could look it up but I haven't. So here again, either new information or old information, we are doing six episodes of Book Shambles live at this year's Edinburgh Fringe and we're proud to say they'll be part of the PBH Free Fringe, which means entry to all of the shows is completely free. So go to the Cosmic Shambles website, go to the events section and get all the details there. We'll be doing shows on August 17, 19, 20, 21, 22 and 23. We're going to have lots of special guests for those. And it's going to be at uh, Bannermans, which is right in the centre of Edinburgh at 5.30pm on each of those dates. And we'll probably uh, do a few giveaways of some uh, books and stuff at those events as well. So hopefully we will see you there. Thanks, as always, to our Patreon supporters. We've got some new stuff coming up exclusively for you very soon. And if you'd like to become a Patreon supporter, go to patreon.com slash bookshambles. And if you'd like to become a Patreon supporter and help keep the podcast running, go to patreon.com slash bookshambles. And finally, Friday, June 29, which is tomorrow, if you're listening to this episode on day of release, All Genius, All Buffoon, our one-hour documentary on the life and work of Richard Feynman will finally be released. We're very sorry about the delay in uh, getting it out to you. All the shows at the Albert Hall meant we had to push it back a little bit. But that will be out on Friday, hosted by Robin Inson, featuring new and exclusive interviews with Professor Brian Cox and Dr. Helen Chersky, who's co-hosting this episode of Book Shambles as well, Uh, Professor John Butterworth, music from Grace Petrie and lots of other people. So do check that out. All the links will be on our Twitter and our Cosmic Shambles website, and that will be on the Science Shambles podcast. Uh, So make sure you subscribe to that. And also, while you're there, give us a... Give us a five-star review on iTunes or wherever you listen to the show. And now on to this week's episode where our guest will be familiar to anyone who was at the Space Shambles show at Royal Albert Hall. This is Robin and special guest co-host this week, Helen Chersky and Kimikeo Kapahulihuha. Hello, welcome to Josie and Robin's Book Shambles. Uh, Today... Uh, the part of Josie Long, who many of you will know is currently on maternity leave, the part of Josie Long will be played by the bubble physicist, Helen Chersky. I feel I should take a bow at this point. Well, it's, it's because I always get worried that I remember once someone thinking that I'd introduced you as a bubbly physicist and thought it was a kind of misogynistic, <laughs> you know, oh, he doesn't always introduce, you know, Richard Dawkins or whatever by going, please welcome the bubbly... And I went, no, 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 a bubble... That's, fi- that's actually what she job. does. I wasn't job. saying she's bubbly. I mean, she can be bubbly, but that certainly would not be part of the introduction. So anyway, so Helen uh, is, uh, is is here today. And on Friday, two days before we start recording this, I'm actually going to take this off because I've suddenly realised it's going to rattle oh, yeah, all the yeah, way yeah. through. I hope that's OK. The, uh, um, on Friday, 
Uh, we did an event at the Albert Hall, which was a celebration of space exploration and uh, involved people like uh, Rusty Schweiker, who was on Apollo 9 and was the person who actually tested the lunar module uh, to make sure that worked. And we had Chris Hadfield, who did some talking, and, of course, some David Bowie covers as well, and public service broadcasting, and Jim Al-Khalili and uh, Dr. Lucy, Professor Lucy Green. I always call her Dr. Lucy Green because she's never changed her Twitter name. It's, my, it's her fault she is her Twitter name more than whatever she actually has. Twitter is real, right? Twitter's Twitter's real, realer Helen. than real. You know that. But one of the, what we tried to do was muck around with as many different ideas as, as possible. And uh, there was a wonderful moment of... Uh, of, of, of chanting and ideas about uh, that I suppose really it, we're joined in fact by the person who did that, Kimikeo, who is... Hello, Kakiaka. Good morning. And you've just been, you're over in the UK uh, involved in some, some racing, canoe racing, is that right at the moment? Yeah, that was, at, uh, you know, the night after uh, Robert Hall. That was a Saturday, and that's with the uh, uh, UK, United Kingdom, over your canoe club. And uh, we raced, I think, about 15 or 16 kilometres. I think it was know? 20 kilometres. <laughs> we went all the way down to the Houses of Parliament. Yeah, back. so yeah, we went down to the Houses of Parliament. It was uh, really fascinating to be uh, having, uh, to paddle... Uh, our outrigger canoe, um, you know, in the Thames. So I was really, really honored and privileged to be here and to paddle in one of our canoes that's here way up into the UK. Because so these are ocean canoes, you know, they're made for waves and difficult conditions, but the Thames is difficult in a different way, isn't it? You've got currents and there's all these obstacles, and it's a nice way to see the city, though, isn't it? From the oh, river. yeah. You know, and uh, even the Thames, you know, we uh, refer our as the tide and Holokai our the currents, so they're both familiar elements that we have in the island, but uh, uh, much more treacherous than we're used to have, you know? And the condition can change within a couple of hours, you know? And we started, uh, I think, sort of like about one thirty, you know? And uh, we ended, I think, close to four or something like that. Yeah, it's a long race. And so we went from almost uh, a low tide to high tide. And after 4.30 stopped, then when we had our little award, two hours later, uh, the tide went back down. So a lot of things that uh, we don't have home uh, with this type of element that we have in the Thames was a, a lesson to learn and a gift to take home about Ao, the tide, and Holokai Ao, the current. So I have a lot to share with uh, everybody back home. So it was a great uh, honor and privilege to be here in the UK, Outrigger Canoe Club, and to paddle one of our own uh, Hawaiian Outrigger Canoes here in uh, the UK. So it was great. It's such a pity because I've got, unfortunately, in my family, one of my sisters got all both the nature and the nurture of uh, doing things like that. She does extreme events where you oh, kind yeah. of swim across a lake and then you run for 50 miles. And then, and so because she's my <laughs> older sister, she got all of that genetic information that so was that's required your to excuse, do that. So my are kind of, you know, lolling in chairs in libraries, uh, you know, fending off paper cuts. You're very that's, welcome to come and join us in a canoe. You know, uh, it's you're very, very much my sister's work. Day. It's my sister's, she, she, she has, she's in charge of that element. And she wouldn't want me to encroach on that either it would create familial disturbances <laughs> now i want to accept because the audience uh obviously there, there were there were five and a half thousand people who, who who joined with you in the albert hall and um, but for most of the people listening to this won't know uh what exactly was going on so when you and helen came on stage can you explain uh you know in this night of astronomy what was being expressed by that particular that moment well for those who would dare uh experience uh one of our ancestral chants and the ancestral chant was uh if I can share it with them was uh, an entry chant you know and the entry chant is to ask permission to Napoe Kalani the people of the heaven 
and Napoikamoana, the people of the ocean. And Napoiko were the people of the land because they were here before us. And so in this chant that uh, we asked them, I'm about to come and uh, to ask permission to enter your heavens, your ocean, and your land. So grant me this permission. So the second part of the chant was to grant me the permission. And uh, for those that was not there, you know, let me share a little bit of this chant to you so you'll be able to know what we had at uh, uh, Royal Roberts Hall. Liu Liu Vali Ika Uka Hula Lili Mauka Maka E Oka Papalaye E Kumu E Kumu Hoya Maluko Ina Hakapu Nuyo Wahune Laye E Anue Anue Ko E Ko E Valeno Ai Eya yeke kanaka e kumu maluko eya na eva kawa aya no kaukala o kale yo eya no e valeno ai So the second part of the chant is granting me permission from Napoikalani, the people of the heaven. And they say to us, Robin, this is my heaven and now I share it with you and please take care of it as I have done and pass it on to the generation and generations to come and same with the ocean and same with the land so as we get into um, your evening at uh, Royal Albert's Hall was about Chris and uh, what's his name the astronaut Oh, so Chris Hadfield was there. Chris Hadfield. Oh, and Rusty Schweikart was the other astronaut. Rusty. Yes, Rusty. And so yeah. Rusty was the Apollo 9, and Chris Hadfield was uh, on, on the, sh the shuttle. And so when you look at that, um, the presentation was about the astronauts in space. So the ancient Hawaiians are astronauts of the ocean. You know, it's, it's uh, all of us, including those uh, astronauts, were going from the known to the unknown. Well, there was a saying, so the, the voyaging canoes, the, they were called, by the people who wrote about them this century, they were called the spaceships of the Pacific. So it, these are the voyaging canoes going. And the Pacific is enormous. It's really hard. Because when we in Britain look at a map of the world, we always look at the Atlantic, and we see, you know, Britain and um, uh, Africa on one side and the Americas on the other side, and it all looks like that's the whole planet. But actually, if you turn the globe around and you look at the back... It's, you can look at it and it's all ocean. And Don't we need enormous. to turn the globe upside down? Because yeah. I think that's a really interesting thing. Someone told me about that exercise, which is there's no reason to say it always has to be with, you know, you've, you've got the Arctic and there's Europe and Norway. And so there's no, because that's not, it's there's artificial. no more sense to that yeah. than placing on any other point on that pivot so mm. that you could have Australia at the top or you could actually have Hawaii at the top. All of those make it. And I wonder if in some ways that changes some of the kind of the way that people culturally receive ideas of different parts of the world. Well, and what that's they just, I think it's the reason that we in the Western world don't think about the oceans very much because when we look at the, you know, the globe, the, the way we draw our maps, we see land. But if you live where Kim Okeo lives and you look down from a satellite, you see ocean. Yeah, we're the most isolated group of islands in the whole planet. If you look at us, and we're um, very small, and uh, and if you, when you look from space down, you'll also find that the Pacific Ocean is one of the larger ocean of all the oceans. 
and to uh, like the astronaut uh, in space and the astronaut in the ocean, it's a vast, vast area. And how do you go from one place to another place? You know, and uh, in the in the ocean was uh, using its natural elements was given to us as gifts. So, and we find ourselves uh, looking at the rising of the sun, you know, and from the east to the west. So actually. That's the way of navigation over the ocean, from the east to the west, because you use the easterly wind to go to the west. And if knowing that, if you're looking just physically here myself, the east would be in my back and the west would be in my front. And so if you wanted to come home, you would have to come back with the westerly wind. And so you would have to know the, the, the seasons when to come across. And they also, to be successful, they would travel before the storm or in the storm or after the storm so you have to be very careful choosing um, your elements and for us being where we at you, you got to look at also hot air coming from the equator up and cold air coming from the north down so when you were talking Robin about you know um, the countries could be placed on different side of the planet the the way the thing was uh, presented to us we call it Honua earth it was just a, a, a one of the gifts were given to mankind. It was a gift that was given to mankind in a universal systems, you know. And so, um, when you place that, you we were we were just in a place where we could go anywhere with our canoe, you know. I want to talk for a moment just about the story of Hokulea because that's that's a really that that comes in in the the sort of revival of these ideas because they so. Um, I'll tell a little bit, but you're the person to tell the story. But in 1976, this voyaging canoe, Hokulea, had been built, and she went from Hawaii to Tahiti and back again using these navigation methods to demonstrate that for the first time that this, it wasn't just, you know, that the people moving between these islands wasn't random, it wasn't wasn't just an accident, it was the result of skill and observation. Exactly. Can, can I just mention, just because it's book shambles as well, that, yeah. that this is written about in, in the Hawaii Rising, Rising yes, which which I know you you, yeah. you played a part part in, which is, well, is that mainly about the, that, particularly what you were just talking about there? It is, is it, the story, so Sam Lowe wrote this book, Hawaii Rising, about the story of Hokulea right. and and um, Kim Okeo's family were involved as well. Well, my uncle was one of the first on the voyage from the Renaissance. So um, Helen brings a, a really interesting point. So we had lost the art of this uh, voyage. And so the art was brought back by interesting individuals that are founders of uh, Polynesian Voyage Society. And really was a person by the name of Dr. Finney. Uh, so Dr. Finney had this idea, and then he gathered up individuals like Rudy Choi, who had experience in uh, catamaran sailing, and Herb Connie, who, how it all happened that he drew this object of the voyaging sailing canoe, and that became the the center of the existence of Hokulea today. It was just an art, and this art uh, um, now gather up all those who was responsible. And then my uncle, which is Kavika Koloha Kapahulehua, uh, was one of the first uh, captains on the boat with Hokulea. So mine knew that uh, they had uh, an idea, and like the what we did at uh, Royal Albert Hall, uh, you know, going with the astronauts from a known area to an unknown area. And so it was all a, 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 a beginning time of the Renaissance of the what we call, um, we have Kaukahi, which is a single hall, and Kaulua, 
which is a double haul and meaning the double haul sailing canoe. So Hokaleo was born in the early 70s. And in the 70s was uh, um, a gathering of knowledge in the Pacific, you know. It was uh, really difficult to understand how to, how to um, tie six miles of rope on a canoe and keep it to be marine structural tight that it doesn't uh, damage its own self, you know, keeping it together. So that was a, a task, and the task was to find someone who was uh, capable of this. So here, uh, Mao Piai Lu was found on the island of Sarawal in Micronesia, and he was knowledgeable of navigating, and he has a, there's a book on him, The Navigator. So he was one of the traditional way. so he had been trained in the old methods. He was trained in the old method, and he, on his own island, uh, sailed in the old method. So we were fortunate to have found such an individual, and that was through the research of uh, National Geographic who was down there and came back to Hawaii and said, hey, we found a guy for you guys. And it was the beginning of the uh, voyage in Kunuhokalea. So he actually was on the canoe on his first voyage in 1976 that left the island of Maui to Tahiti. And at that time, the Hokalea took 34 days. You know, so mind you that uh, this uh, was uh, strictly celestial navigation, no compass on board, you know. And when they went, uh, part of the uh, Hokalea mission, uh, this recent worldwide voyage, is to Malama Honua to take care of the land and how to be self-sustainable. So they actually trained. Imagine that in 1976, we were fully uh, modernized. You know, so modernized is that everyone is eating the food of today, not the food of yesterday. So Hokalea crew had gathered uh, prior to 1976, four to uh, years working, uh, trying to build a canoe, uh, get the hulls made, get the wood made, uh, and everything. So the hull of Hokalea was made out of fiberglass, and the top was made out of wood. But also that, uh, mind you, the woodwork was uh, not of a metal pulley, it was a wooden pulley, and the ropes were all tied how it should be tied. So it was a, it was fascinating for me to pull into um, the escort boat that we used into London yesterday and find out that uh, the Thames had an old sailing ships and uh, going up and down in the Thames, they actually have five of the sailing ships. So I, I kind of locked my eyes on it and pictured every part of it. And it was similar like that in Hokolea and uh, getting uh, the canoe made and designed. So tribute is to a person called Dr. Finney, tribute uh, paid to uh, Rudy Choi, uh, Herb Connie, uh, my uncle uh, Kavika, but the key to this was Mao Pi Luke, and he is uh, credited to this, you know. And uh, coming back home, bringing a canoe in '76 was a gentleman called Naino Thompson, and now this began us of really moving forward on voyaging, because Naino came back to University of Hawaii after the sail, and. Uh, Mao was not on a return trip, so Naino academically went to University of Hawaii and made all the scientific um, ways of doing that. And in 1980, he went to seek out Mao Pi Lug and have Pi Lug to um, integrate the ancient way of voyaging and of what he had known. So these two gentlemen did bring back the renaissance of 
the voyaging canoes of the Pacific. The thing that I like about the the thing that struck me when I first when I first met you, but also when I read Hawaii Rising, and there have been other books written as well. Um, is that this is it's fundamentally a human thing it's not in opposition to science science is a tool but the canoe is about being human and there's this mixture of using science as a tool to to be better humans yeah so uh, on on this you know when we look at uh, the voyage you know it's living the life with the natural elements not studying the life of the natural elements it was a inheritance from mao's family and his family before that and inherited and integrated what Nainoa is. So in the Polynesian Voice Society, they teach that, yeah, living the life of all the natural elements. And these natural elements play a big part on voyaging. So if you look at uh, what do we use, you know, to go from one place to another. So, of course, you have the stars during the night, and they created a celestial chart showing that the stars all rise from the east, and so does the moon, and so does the star, uh, the stars. So, rising to the east, they have what we call houses. Uh, you know, houses is like Hokuhali, house of the star. And so, they broke it up into 32 houses and uh, show the sections of the houses. So if you come, as an example, the star rise from the Aina, it will land in Aina on the opposite side, on the east. And if it came back on the west side, then it come back opposite side of Aina, you know, and they get Noio, which is a bird, Mano, which is a bird. Um, they get Leo, which is a voice of the heavens, you know. Or so all of these are on the, on the Hokulea website. These are the, these, the charts that show these yeah, the so houses you, are all if, there. If you, if you so. take an example, we were on Hokulea, and you have two halls, and you have a, a square. You imagine a circle in the square, the left uh, port, the right port, the right, left starboard, and the right starboard. You know, they would call that. We would call them, you know, front to back, you know, mano ihu, mano hope, you know. So parts of the canoe was given names that was almost a living part. And if you um, seen our single hall canoe, starting with the education on the single hall, it was like mano ihu represents the male to feed and clothe and protect the family. And then you had the body of the canoe, which is called kino, our body. How do we nourish our body to take care of our family? So just imagine the type of food they had at the, those years. I mean, not only us, but all of our ancient people, including in London, they didn't have all this uh, fast food or anything. They just purely had the right food to eat because that's what they farmed. They farmed the vegetables and they catch the fish. Uh, you know, and then they started with that and kept them really fit. And they were just woke up like your great-great-grandfather. He woke up and he worked, you know. Um, and a lot of things that we do today is convenient to us versus just working. So they were strong people in making sure that they lived the life of their family. The the uh, top of the canoe has a splash guard, you know, it's called Palikai. And it's called Kealakai Ko Mau Kupuna. And that's really um, the pathway of our ancestors. And just by that direction and that inheritance. And when we name these things, there's a lot of spiritual connection before we physically apply and almost anything, you know, and that's what a, a, a part of that. A rope was made out of coconut senef, dried coconut, making the, the, the husk and rope 
using the husk to make fire on the canoes and uh, the uh, leaves to make clothes, the, the coconut meat to eat, the water to drink. So that alone, the coconut was a sustainable plant. So yesterday, today, and tomorrow was the same thing. Like you say, uh, Helen, that there was science to the food. These guys lived the food, you know. Then you got the, the outrigger, which is balance of life. And then in the back of that canoe was called Manohope, the female. She's the most sacred one, being on a new generation. So now you applied it to Kaukahi. It's a single hall. Kaulu is a double hall. And they doubled it, uh, you know, that situation. So our canoe was a living entity when it was made. So we had to know the forest. And we had to know Kula, which is the farmland. And then we had to know Kai, which is the ocean. So we have a combination of the top, the forest, the middle of the farmers, and the bottom is the ocean. So all that had to work together. It was, we wouldn't have a canoe if we did not know the forest. And so parts of the canoe are made by parts of different trees. So knowing the structure of the parts of the canoe and the strength. So some of the hardwood was used for the braces. Some of the softwood were used for the floating beat and the other parts for the mass and things like that. So, so there's a lot of representation here, isn't there? There was something, so when we were, we did a, a voyage around the volcano on Maui when we were there. And I remember we were looking from the canoe at the island and watching the breaking waves. And I was interested because I study breaking waves, but you know, you see the white kind of, you see white in patches. And you told me that that was like a lay around the island. And that reminded me, you once told me about making a lay for the victims of a sh shooting in right. Florida. Tell us about that. Well, we, uh, you know, the, the, the chant is about lay, uh, Kalei Maila. There's a lay around the island. And really what the lay around the island is, the white crest you see on top of the wave that wraps so the, all the... Lei, the for those, so Kimika actually gave Robin one. So it's, Robin, would you describe what, what Kimika gave you when we came in? It, it's uh, an, an entwined uh, series of, 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 of leaves, uh, like, a, like a kind of uh, a delicate rope of leaves, but then with also with, with certain uh, um, strands that then just, just come out as well. So there's, uh, so it's, um, it does, it, it looks traditionally like, I suppose, for people who may watch Hollywood movies, it has that look of the vine. It has yeah. the look of the vine that you would see uh, hanging down as someone, you know, explores through undergrowth. Yeah, so on the presentation of this lay, it, it goes like this, yeah? Uh, we didn't have an opportunity at the Robert, uh, Royal Roberts Hall. And he goes, Kalei maela o kaula ike kahie Ke malama lama o ni iha u amalie Amalie pa kainu vaela Ke inu maela He na hala una wea ike kai No na wea kahala No puna kawahine No kalua no ikilewe uh, yeah. And we present this lay to you, Robin. And really, we have a, what they call a honi honi ha. We would put our nose together, eye to eye, and we will share the breath of life. You know. And on that uh, presentation, it says that uh, now um, I've given the lay of Allah. Now I entrust you with my heaven, my ocean, and my land, and care for it as I had done, and pass it on to the generations to come. And so all of that in, in, includes everything in the heaven, the stars, the moon, and during the day, the sun. And you were saying when we went around, so the wave and the wind play a very intricate part 
if you have no no stars to be seen because they're clouded out, then you would use the wave and the wind. And that's what we use, what you call the wave and the wind. And going around the island, we paddled it, but we use our, which is a tide, Holokai, our, which is a current, Kamakani, which is the wind, and Nalu, which is the wave. And so going down into Tahiti, you would figure out the, the waves on the on the double hall, on what side would it come out? If you hit it that way, it would be on your left-hand side. So everything would be on the east. If you're coming home, it would be on the westerly side of the hall. So this is one of the things that interested me most when I started to read about the navigation because we talked uh, on Friday about the celestial navigation and the stars, but obviously, you know, sometimes it's cloudy, you know, you can't see. So, and, and I, because I study breaking waves and bubbles, and I was fascinated when I read um, the books on this, you know, the, the, the many methods there are to use the ocean because someone living in London would generally look at the ocean and it looks the same. But it does not look the same to a Hawaiian navigator. Well, you know, if you're on the ocean and you're traveling, you know, as a navigator, um, you know, the navigator would use everything that's available to him or her, you know? And uh, so if you didn't have the, the stars, then you would you use the next elements, you know? And uh, the next elements would be definitely the ocean, right? And the waves and the wind. So both of those elements plays a huge part when there's no... So you can navigate by the heavens with the stars, and you can navigate Napoe Kamoana with the people of the ocean. So the Hawaiians looked at all the natural elements as part of our life. Because like you say, you know, uh, physics is a lot of science, you know? Well, there was no physics for our kupuna or our ancestral ways of life. It was just a way of feeling and ingratitude, um, loving nature and having nature love you. They become part of you and you become part of them. But it's very detailed oh. observation. Go on, well, No, I want to ask you, Helen, and uh, both of you, which is this, it does seem, talking about this, that there is a sense of uh, detachment in a lot of what happens in the world now. So uh, what you're talking about is actually that moment of conversing with the, the, the entire world around you, above you, behind you. And in, and I think in, there's a certain level of, of cynicism, perhaps, within, and I would say within science as well, which is that moment of saying there's nothing wrong with, you know, whether it's anthropomorphizing the ideas around the stars that are around you, to have that sense of connection. I remember Slavoj Žižek in one of his books talks about the fact, he said, the trouble is we have no connection with the food that we eat. You go and you buy it, and you, you eat it and you take it out of the wrapper. He said, you know, you go to the toilet and you just flush it away and that's nothing to do with me and that's someone else's business. You know, that's... So I'm wondering how you think there might be, you know, both as, as, a, as a working physicist and someone who's also involved in this world, in, in you know, in, in the canoe, of working out a way to reduce the cynicism which may get in the way of actually a real sense of, of our connection in, in the universe. Well, I think that the so I have I have a real fascination with um, t I want to tell the story of the ocean through its connection to human civilizations because it's too big not to. If you look at our planet, it's blue, right? Mm. Most of it is blue, but you know you live in a city, you never see it, and and I think that this the the Polynesian way of looking at the ocean has a lot to. It's very relevant right now because right now you know we've got the problems of the plastic in the ocean, we've got the Arctic which is opening up, which is a new ocean. People are starting to argue over who owns the water around Antarctica and whether you can fish there. Suddenly people are thinking about the ocean, and, and it feels to me like we're we're going one of two ways. Either we're all going to argue over it, fight over it, use it, you know, destroy it, or we go 
you know what, this is part of our life, right? This actually, even if you live in London, you know, the Thames is a, is a port city. People forget the reason it's here is because this was Britain's access to the oceans. And so I, I, I'm really interested in these two, these two things coming together, like the knowledge. I see the ocean as a physical engine, right? There's currents, there's tides, it's moving, it's doing things. And humans sort of move on top of that like Kimiko said if you are voyaging you might use a current that is taking you one way but also those currents mean there are lots of fish in some places there are tides which cause you know D-Day was shifted the date of D-Day was shifted a day later because of the tides right a battle if they had gone on the original day they would have lost there's no doubt about that so, so there's all this I think more appreciation of what those elements do for us is 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 an important thing. And that's why when I talk about, you know, I talk about everyday physics and, and the oceans in the same way, it, it's like it's it's not separate to that knowledge isn't just, oh, we're going to play with this thing. Isn't it nice that the tides do this? It's seeing that we we do rely on the tides. And that's why the canoes are interesting for me because not, you know, I came to the, the outrigger canoes. It was, and it was another sport. I do a lot of sports and I, I kind of collect them, frankly. Uh, and it, and I started and it was another one. And then unlike any other sport I've ever done, um, the culture comes with it. Even here in London, you know, our, our coach Cam is very keen on this, that, you know, the way you can't paddle a canoe without being aware of the water. And so you can't do the sport without these little cultural bits. Even if we're racing, you know, we're, we're doing a modern race, we're in fiberglass canoes, you know, still you have, you feel, you're sitting in the water, you feel it, you can't ignore it. And, and it's a very obvious connection. Um, and, you, you know, you, these canoes, that the double hull, what, for those who've never seen an outrigger canoe, I encourage everyone to, to Google it. But you've got a long, uh, sort of long canoe, but then it's got this bit, sort of extra little stabiliser bit out at the side, the armour. And two uh, bits that come across that join the main canoe to this stabiliser. And the whole thing is flexible, so it, it moves with the waves. So you, if you're in the canoe, you are... you've you're feeling all the physics that I study, right? I study these breaking waves and that then wave fields. And and so it is it's really interesting to me the way the whole thing comes together. And I think now is the time to to be appreciated. You know, the, the story of Hokulea is so it's such a good time because we need to look at that attitude to the ocean instead of saying, oh, it's an aggressive thing that we can throw things into. Actually, it's not only a nice thing to say, it's not only a nice human thing to say, you know, we should pay attention to it. It's actually going to be a survival thing because we we like our civilization the way it is. But there are limits, you know, we've got a planet. One of the things that um, we started with on Friday, there's this saying in Hawaii that I heard a lot, which is a, a canoe is an island and an island is a canoe. And this leads very naturally to the idea that the earth is a canoe. So Kimiko, just tell us a bit about that. Exactly, you know... Um which is a, a canoe in an island, which is an island within a canoe, you know, and uh, what we do on land is what we do on canoe. So just imagine the, the size of the canoe, uh, Hokule is 63 uh, feet long and uh, 20 something feet wide, so we only have 1,200 square feet to live amongst ourselves, right? And on the double hull canoe like Hokulea, you have the captain and he's responsible for the safety of the canoe and safety of the people. And then you have a navigator who's uh, responsible for the course, you know, of the direction where the canoe goes and the change of the direction depending on the elements that we have. Uh, imagine that we cross the, uh, the dojums and we have no wind. 
and we sit in a dojo for days, you know, before you can get out of the dojos, you know, and then you get out. So the time of uh, knowing how fast you go, um, they use the front hall, uh, like a triangle, go out to the ocean, come back to the back hall, and looking at the bubbles that goes out from the hall to determine the speed of the canoe and get your element and kind of go out there. And then you have uh, you have a, uh, a quartermaster responsible for the food. And, uh, you know, we have uh, X amount of gallons of water, X amount of food. All of these we prepared for just 30 days. If you go beyond that, then you're going to have to do that twice the amount. And many times twice the amount puts the weight on the canoe and it dangers us on the balance of the canoe. Having, having to do all this changing of weight on the canoe from one hall to the other, you have to make sure that the quartermaster, if he takes food out from one hall like five pounds, he has to make sure he takes the next meal five pounds out. And he cannot just take 30 pounds one side and no pounds on the other side because we'll have one hall under the water. So any, so all of this is figured out by the quartermaster. And then the cook, he has to figure out that we have like 14 people on a crew. Most important person in any boat is He's the cook. Any <laughs> boat is most important because if he doesn't really make a delicious meal, we kind of be really pissed, you know? Hmm. But it's he, true, though. Even he ha- on the he big has ocean to make vessels. sure that everybody's uh, well-fed and well-done, uh, you know? And then you, 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 all of these people play a really important to that. So, you know, you know, is that we all need to know how to live sustainably about ourselves. So when you look at the land, people, we're just so happy that we can do anything, which is not so true, because that's what we did. And when we did that, we lost what you call the disconnection of not being balanced and having to eat too much and having more of these things and not being balanced of making it. And we, we're all trying, I think, in the world now how to take care of having because there's a lot of things happening. So one of the things that happened to us is that uh, there was a philanthropist out of uh, Germany. His name is uh, Dieter, you know, Paul Dieter. And he actually made seven canoes with PV panels. And these PV panels was to take the sun and make it into an electrical engine. And so his first voyage was 20,000 miles without any fuel at all. I think that we're, we're so busy in our own daily lives that we forget what we have, you know. And so I, I, I go back to the Thames, which is uh, the passageway from the ocean, you know. And we actually talked about voyaging the Thames someday, you know, towards the ocean and go from the ocean out because relieving what was done before. So, you know, celestial navigation is um, a renaissance and uh, and it's uh, really helped. But I want to share with you in uh, April of 2012, I went to Fortaleza in Brazil and noticed that there were sailing ships. So the Africans and the Portuguese people went back and forth from Africa to uh, South America with that. So part of the worldwide voyage was, uh, you know, uh, leaving Hawaii, um, going down to the Tasmanian Sea, uh, coming backside to South Africa, and they talk about the voyage in Madagascar and ending up in Durban to the Cape, and then going to the island called Magellan's Island in Brazil, and then up to the Caribbean, and then to Cuba and Miami, all the way up to Nova Scotia, and back into the Erie and coming back down and go to Panama and going to Panama, going down to the Galapagos Island and then going to um, Easter, Easter Island and then to Tahiti. So that was a three-year voyage and that took, uh, you know, a ton of people to be on this volunteer trip and make it happen. So, so we had uh, learned a lot from each 
apart each country and each ocean as we went around. So it's a, it's really a great thing to stay connected and be connected, especially what you have at home. There's an interesting book by a guy called Ronald Wright. I don't know if you know it, A Short okay. History of Progress. Just when you mentioned Easter Island and thinking of that as a... Mm-hmm. And he uses that as the example of becoming too detached from the natural world, where that moment on Easter Island where the obsession to continue to build these faces overtook from the realisation that if you remove too many of the trees, then everything... I mean, as far as I know, and I might be wrong about this, but when, when the first expedition that actually reached Easter Island what they found was an incredibly impoverished and starving society because they just and he kind of uses that as the example of saying if we become overly obsessed with with capitalism yeah. then eventually you go oh the soil's slipping and nothing's growing yeah, anymore and, and, <laughs> exactly and so yeah. that's uh, that's the most dangerous thing you know is taking away your forest and then all of a sudden have all of, all this dirt on you you know kind of thing so it's uh, really important to uh, know your own land how do you keep your land and and sustain it because it can wash away from you well it's been very striking to me that there's this thing that goes goes on with the canoes and it's both teaching and learning at the same time you know the the you're always teaching but you're also always learning and now it's very it's very struck me when when you first came to the royal albert hall yesterday and uh or the day before you know i went for you were quite quiet and i wondered and i realized you were listening you were learning you turned up in a new environment and you kept quiet and you listened and you were just absorbing and so there's this two-way constant two-way thing that you're All both the time. teaching and you're learning. always having you know no matter where i go you know uh, you need to be a, a really listener you know and if you listen a lot will come to you you know uh, not only the people or the sounds of the people, but sounds of the wind and the direction they're coming from and all the natural things that's around here. And you would always have to be a good listener, you know. And, uh, you know, to lead, you have to uh, be a good listener and a good follower. You could never do that unless you do that. So it's really important no matter where I go, you know, that I, I, I you know, people say, well, what do you think about the city? You know, they just say, just beautiful, because I never look for the ugliest thing in anywhere. If you look for the ugliest thing anywhere, you can find them anywhere, even in Hawaii. So you just come here and engulf the best of the best, and you'll be on the right path, you know. And that is just to harvest the best of the elements you have here, and uh, knowing that uh, all of us have something good and all of us have something bad, but you really want to look at the best you have, you know. And it's very important for being human as well. I mean, it's it's something that is a reminder. And because people say to me, you know, I'm very fortunate, like both of you, I've traveled a lot, but you can always, there's always something good where you want. You don't have to get on a plane to explore. You know, especially in England, we're sitting on 2,000 years of history. There's always something, right? You can walk down a the street, there's a, you know, a Victorian drain, there's a part of a building that was built. You know, it's like, it's all there. And exploration isn't about... It can be about physically going somewhere, but it's about mentally going somewhere much more. It's yeah, shocking, isn't it? Every time you walk around London, and I've, you know, how many thousands and thousands of times lived there, that there's still the number of streets where I'll go, and I didn't notice that roof before, and I didn't notice that pillar before. Or as you said, when you're in the parks and you just little things, you think, wow, that, that tree right in the centre there, I never noticed it's girt. You know, that's... Yeah, but if you look at um, some of the... Uh sites you have you know i'm i'm going to the london tower today you know i've seen a little bit of it from the the boat you know and i walked up and uh, caught the they call it a tube you know we call it a subway and i say i so, so i did panoramic shots and everything reviewed it last night you know um there's some things as far as uh the early uh, 1700s and the late 70s so 300 years ago 400 years ago it was pretty common what we see today and how to have that 
um, and the, the panoramic shot I took was uh, about the what was yesterday and what's today, you know. And so uh, I, I could imagine because a lot of, of Hawaii is up here because a lot of our royal families, our lands are called crown lands, you know, and we have our, our, our red, white, and blue flag, which about the eight islands, which was a British uh, influence on our, our home. And so we have a lot of connections together, but uh, Great Britain went all over the world. You know, if you look at the, the Commonwealth of, of the countries, they just went all over the world, and we're part of that. And now we're here, where, where, where the history came, you know. So you, uh, our, our, our sailors from here had exactly uh, what we did way before. You know, we just in, in a, in a thing, and you've kind of got away from sailing. And other countries just did the same as they did, like Japan. They parked their sailing ships as just models now. But they just came to Hawaii about a month ago to celebrate their 150-year arrival in Hawaii with the sailing boat. You know what I mean? And so it's coming back, you know, deal. And so I think that uh, celestial navigation, uh, Napoi Kalani, the people of the heaven, Napoi Kamoana, people of the ocean, Napoi Kuno, people of the land, we have a connection together, you know. Uh, so when, when we say that the earth is a canoe and a canoe is an earth, so just imagine all of us on the canoe, all of us. We all came from the waterways. We simply came from the waterways. We had no planes. We had no tube. We all came from the waterways. So if you look at that, if, if you, you think that we're not connected, then look at the space, the heavens. We're connected. Just imagine that we went to the uh, Royal Roberts Hall and we had the two astronauts going around the planet, you know, and especially uh, Apollo, you know. And today they're doing exactly what we're trying to do as astronaut of space, astronaut of the ocean, trying to teach our young to go back into space and there's more to discover and they want to and so these two astronauts and other group of people are talking about that and so conceptually the discussion of physics will now grow into a real um, Elon Musk and all these guys to find people so uh, there'll be a group of s young astronauts it's going to take it beyond the galaxies of this universe. And it's just like our young people. They're going to take the ocean voyaging beyond the Pacific, you know, and go to the horizon to the zenith with this whole program around. So I think we've, we've got a fascinating future with all of us together and using the foundation of what was, what we have, and how we're going to proceed in the future. And especially with, I was really... Um, uh, motivated by them about gathering more astronauts together and association and getting more people involved with that, you know. And I think this was a, a, a whole physics presentation into what will become of all of us, you know. Kimikai, thank you very much. Thank you very much. Dr. Helen Chersky uh, and uh, thank you very much everyone who's listened thank you to everyone who supports us via Patreon or is thinking about supporting us via Patreon this is a series of Book Shambles science specials that we're doing uh, some of which were recorded uh, at the Albert Hall as well with people such as Alan Moore and Adam Buxton and uh, Professor Lucy Green and Dr. Hannah Fry and uh, Dallas Campbell uh, so thank you very much for listening to the show also there is one with Commander Chris Hadfield that we did quite a while ago so if you want to look back in the 
the archives. There was also uh, a long interview with uh, what Chris Hadfield was reading in space and what he found out there. And my book, the uh, which is all about kind of a mixture of... Uh, Birth, death, laughter, inner voices and social anxiety, amongst other things, is uh, available for pre-order now from Atlantic Books. And that book is I'm a Joke and So Are You. But thank you very much for listening and bye-bye. Au revoir. Thank you very much to our Patreon supporters and this week we would like to thank in particular Jennifer Robinson, Phil Egan, Ian Grieg, David Boyle, Cynthia Magnan Hutchinson, Colin Innes, Georgine Lippiet and Catherine Anderson. Thank you to those and all our Patreon supporters. Go to patreon.com slash bookshambles to join them. Thank you very much for listening. We'll be back with a new episode next week with Robin and Helen Chersky sticking around to be co-host for another episode when we chat to Dallas Campbell. This podcast is part of the Cosmic Shambles Network. Josie Robin's Book Shambles was produced by Trent Burton of Trunkman Productions. Mm.